0: So we're in late November, if I'm doing my math right, when this comes out, and we're getting very (laughs) close to graduation. And um, my team lead, I supervise the welcome desk, is about to graduate. Her name's Maddie. Um, And I mention this because her dad is actually probably one of our biggest listeners. He listens to everything, sends um, information through Maddie on what we should cover next time, the topics that we miss. <laughs> um, how many shout outs that we should be giving Maddie, even though Maddie only started listening to the podcast last week?
1: <laughs> Maddie, get so, it together.
0: So, we <laughs> wanted to start out this episode with a quick uh, shout out to Alex in El Paso. Um, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it.
2: Alex, since we know you're listening, Maddie has been a amazing part of our department for so many years, and we are going to miss her so much because she just. She runs that welcome desk like
1: yes. nobody's business. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, I hire really good people, clearly. Yeah. So Maddie is, she's amazing. Uh, so thanks, Alex, for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, one of my favorite people in the world, and also I know a listener of the podcast, is Ernie Jones, who uh, worked with me when in when I worked in my former life. Yeah. Anyway, he's really cool, good people, and also a, an alum of Southwest Texas, right? Yeah, super cool. So oh, and he's a really good manager, so like I learn a lot from him and the way he manages people, so it's fun.
0: Um, are there any other shout outs that we need to need to give? any other listeners? I, I have a few. Nathan in Maine. My old roommate mm-hmm. listens and and gives me critiques about the the cold opens every week.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say Carol and Katie.
1: she is Carol my mother. And Katie.
0: So <laughs> My mom says I'm not on it, there, so she doesn't listen.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Oh.
0: <laughs> no, I have one more. I have one more. This is kind of awful. I didn't tell you all about this before, but now that I'm thinking oh. about it, it, might be a little test here. Because um, the guy who um, almost gave us this opportunity, like gave us this thing and told us to run with it, the old associate director, Ralph Leal, um, got a new job. And so hopefully mm-hmm. he's still listening, but we should give him a shout-out. One, for being... A listener um, and then also too for allowing us to kind of do what we want in the crazy podcast world of career mm-hmm. services so uh, shout out Ralph hopefully you text us and say you listen to this if not mm-hmm. we'll
2: know yes well, <laughs> we do We do miss you already I think it's only been two weeks but yeah, he, he likes to comment on our weird comments and then we're like oh gosh is that a problem that we said that and he's yeah. usually yeah just make
0: fun of us yeah. <laughs> you can't be afraid of that anymore
1: <laughs> so another person we know who listens to the podcast and has given us some great feedback is our next guest, and that is Quadarius McCahern. Quadarius, otherwise known as Q, is the Fraternity and Sorority Life Coordinator um, and has was previously the Graduate Assistant in Fraternity and Sorority Life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about his career as it's been increasingly growing some of the really cool endeavors that he has been involved in. We're also going to talk a bit about microaggressions um, and their effect on people as they proceed through the job search. So we hope that you enjoy and we'll catch you soon. Well, hey Q, thanks for joining us today. We're so excited to get to know you and talk with you about all the exciting adventures in your life right now. Uh, So thanks for being here
3: course. I'm so happy to be here and I appreciate y'all for having me on today. You know, I love this podcast.
1: So to kick it off,
2: Q, I am always interested when people are man- managed to move out of state because it is something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but just can't seem to pull it off. And so we know you are originally from North Carolina. And I was wondering if you could tell us what brought you to Texas?
3: Yeah, well, that's a... Uh long story, but (laughs) I can start with like, I did my undergraduate work at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. um, And I majored in psychology, minors in social economic justice and education. So towards the end of my college career, I knew that I wanted to go into student affairs, higher higher education, working with students. Um, So I applied to multiple schools. I wanted to get outside of North Carolina just because I'm originally from South Carolina, moved to North Carolina in high school and I wanted a different experience than what the Carolinas was. So I applied to schools in Ohio, (laughs) I applied to schools in Texas, I applied to schools in like Northeast USA. And really what brought me to Texas was Texas State. Um, Like we talked about this before, but um, I really enjoyed Texas State's student affairs and higher education program. And whenever I came to Central Texas, I had interviews in Houston before, and then we drove a mega bus up to um, San Marcos. And literally, from the moment I got here, everybody was nice to me. And I was like, this is really, really weird. Like, every single person I met, (laughs) from tour guides to people that work at the university to restaurants, everybody was nice. And I was like, this is wild. Um, And I really, really enjoyed San Marcos, like this area. And it's a beautiful area, beautiful campus. So that's really what brought me to San Marcos specifically um, was Texas State, the university and the people here, because it is different from North Carolina and where I'm from.
1: Nice. I was curious, what drew you to student affairs?
3: Well, listen, that takes us all the way back.
1: (laughs) All right. Cool. that's what we want to (laughs) know.
3: Well, yeah, so I can I can talk a little bit. I don't really know how much time I have. But I can talk a little bit about um, UNC and how whenever I wanted to go to college in the first place, like I'll be the second person in my family to really get a college, like to get a bachelor's degree and then the second person to get a master's degree as well. So education is something that isn't necessarily like um, something that my family is super, super big on whenever I went to college Um, and at UNC, my first year I was pre-medicine. I wanted to be a pediatrician, um, go to medical school, all of that. And UNC taught me quickly that that was not the path that was designed for me. So um, I experienced a lot of hardship in my first year where um, I lost my father my second semester of college. And that really put me in a rut, put me in a very difficult space. Um, And then my first semester of my sophomore year, my grandmother passed away, who was basically like a second mother to me. So I lost two people that were extremely important within my first three semesters of college. And really there were points in that experience where I wanted to just go home, go back home. I was like three hours away from home and just not experience college anymore because I didn't necessarily feel like I could exist in that space away from family. And the people that kept me in school were student affairs professionals. And I didn't even really correlate those two things at the time. They were just my academic advisor that saw potential in me. That was just, um, whenever I was working as a resident uh, advisor, my community director was somebody that was very connected to me, guiding me through the experience of being in college, but also helping me go through the stages of grief and get better. Um, And then there were also instances wherever I was having very deep depressive episodes and the counseling center at UNC Mm. were people that were very supportive to me. And really like throughout my college experience, a trend that like you can see is that student affairs professionals were the ones that kept me on track the whole time. Professors weren't very important in my journey, but people who were dedicated to working with me in various aspects outside of the. 15%, 20% of time that I spent in class were the people that kind of helped me stay the course and get my bachelor's degree at UNC and pushed me to go on into a master's program. So that's what drove me to student affairs is because I saw how people invested in me and I was like, I have to pay this forward. And I feel like that's something that I am good at at this point. That's something that I really am passionate about. So that's what pulled me into the student affairs realm and into the realm of I want to make sure I do whatever I can to support these students because they need an advocate in their space.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that that yeah. story with us. That's it's powerful. And honestly, like listening to you say that made me it it, it like it it reaffirmed why I also love student affairs. hmm It's it's cool, it's powerful. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. I know, um, well, when we had originally thought about inviting you to come be a part of the podcast queue, we had talked about having you on as a student spotlight because you've been doing so many amazing things here on campus as a a, a master's student here in the SAHI program. And what's so cool is between now and then, some things have changed for you. Can yes. you tell us a little <laughs> bit about what has changed as of late?
3: Yeah. So uh, at the beginning of this year, I had the opportunity to transition from a graduate assistant role in the Dean of Students Fraternity Sorority Life into a full-time coordinator position. So now working 40 hours a week plus, um, maintaining a full-time student status and Mm. uh, making sure that I get my graduate degree on time in May 2021. So it's a big transition (laughs) that's happened between when y'all reached out and now. But nevertheless, I, I think I'm really, really excited to still be here and talk about that new experience as well.
2: Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I feel like that's a just great explanation of how much of a student spotlight you are, you know? That's <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Um, a question for you about that mm-hmm. new position. So, have you always been interested in FSL, or was that something that kind of happened as a result of your GA position within the department?
3: Yeah, well, actually, in undergrad, I didn't even really know anything about fraternity sorority life really until sophomore year. Um, after I went through a lot in my first two years of undergrad, I really dug down deep and tried to figure out what is the impact that I wanted to have at UNC. We like to call it our heel print, uh, Tar Heels, but, um, we, we figured out what we want our heel print to be. And, um, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, that's the organization I joined. And that was one way that I can make an impact at my university. And I realized very quickly that fraternity is not just your chapter or the group of members that are on your campus. is so much bigger. Is statewide, it's region-wide, it's nationwide, and it's globally. So um, whenever I came to actually interview here at Texas State, I met Bob Dodoski, my supervisor. Um, I'm sure he'll come up a couple more times today. <laughs> but um, I realized that there was a position working directly with fraternities and sororities. And being a part of a fraternity, I recognize the benefit that is in these organizations and the immense amount of growth that I experience whenever joining and being a part of my fraternity. So I've been really interested in working with fraternity sororities ever since I knew that I wanted to go into student affairs, which was around junior, senior year of college. And now working full-time with fraternity and sorority life members is awesome because they bring a very unique perspective to the student experience, um, mm-hmm. especially these student leaders that we work with, they're just awesome. So I'm, I'm really blessed and really appreciative to be able to work with them full-time now at this point that
2: is awesome man um i will be the first to admit and say that i do not know very very much about fraternities and sororities so you talked about how you support them in their endeavors what mm-hmm. sort of endeavors do they typically take on or are trying to do within the organization
3: yeah so in fraternities and sororities there's a lot of different aspects that the organizations take shape one big piece is brotherhood and sisterhood so building a connection with other people that oftentimes have similar values to you based on the organizations that you join. Mm -hmm. Um, Additionally, these organizations have really big hands in philanthropic and community service endeavors. So these organizations are giving lots of money, lots of resources, lots of time to support the communities that they occupy um, and also putting feet on the ground and taking the stance on various issues. So I think that the organizations do so much work outside of what I feel like media or what the perception of the organizations oftentimes is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that once you look a little deeper, you can see that they're very involved in the community. They're very involved in building connections with each other at the university. And you could argue that they're very integral to um, university spirit and how the university um, connects with students because they have a very big role in school spirit and how the university connects to the students. So there's multiple ways that these organizations have their hands in the communities that they occupy. And my job is to help make sure that they continue to push these pol- these positive things out um, and mm-hmm. the positive things that they're doing. And help them to create and be innovative in the ways that they approach community service, in the ways they approach philanthropic endeavors, and in the ways that they approach brotherhood and sisterhood. Because as we know, that looks differently now where most things are virtual or we're trying Mm -hmm. to think about ways to connect with other human beings without necessarily 300 people being in the exact same room. Mm -hmm. So that's where my job comes in a lot, is figuring out ways to help them think of innovative ways to do things. But, that's that's really what I think is a good view of what these organizations look mm-hmm. like because they're not one faceted. And I think that might be a misconception that a mm-hmm. lot of people hold.
2: Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, okay. I, I will admit that I think the majority of what I knew was kind of more the, I guess, stereotypical sort of side. And so it's super cool to hear more about the philanthropic uh, side of things and events like that. And I imagine it's been really interesting trying to translate community building to virtual <laughs> like everything has been oh man
1: I so spinning it a little career servicey um, I know that in a lot of our presentations when we talk about like how to build your resume and things like that we we always emphasize involvement in student organizations leadership um, involvement in fraternity and sororities in in leadership specifically but also in the volunteer and Um, you know, volunteering with those philanthropic um, activities and things like that. So you have a lot of firsthand experience with that. How do you how do you think that involvement in FSL can boost a resume, can help the job search, things like that?
3: Oh, I I think that it boosted 100 percent. If you think about all the different positions that these organizations have, and I can speak from my experience as a chapter president of my organization back at UNC. I, I really became a jack of all trades in that position because I had the opportunity to handle budgets or work with budgets, have mm-hmm. an eye on large budgets. I had the opportunity to create relationships with community leaders because we were outreaching all the time and connecting with people. I had the opportunity to, to talk about my communication methods and the ways that I've developed um, in terms of communicating my vision with my members and also communicating with university leaders communicating with um student leaders outside of my organization there's so many different aspects of fraternity and sorority life that um exist and i think that students really need to think about the experience that they're truly having in these organizations because I think that they honestly offer you the opportunity to become a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. And you you really have opportunity, especially in smaller chapters, you have an opportunity to reach your hands in a lot of different pots and develop a lot of different skills that in other organizations, you may not have the opportunity to do. And a lot of times these fraternities and sororities, like they're being run by these students. They have advisors, they have people that are supporting them, but these students are running these organizations very well. Um, And I really think that that's something that I push to students as well. And that was pushed to me is to think about all the things that you're doing in your leadership positions in these fraternities and sororities. You're doing a lot. (laughs) And oftentimes you don't really think about that whenever you're a student. But I also do appreciate your office does push that as well. Like think about all the different things that you're doing outside of just like Mm -hmm. we do community service on weekends. We. Um, go to meetings twice a week, like you're doing so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I continue to push the students today.
1: Absolutely. Um, changing topics a little bit. We know that you have a really cool company. So is it officially a company?
3: Uh, it's still an individual thing, but I'm, okay. I want to <laughs> move it into a company next year. I'm thinking 2021. Okay,
1: cool. So you have McKayhern Speaks, mm-hmm. and Career Services has participated in one of your presentations before, which was really incredible. So we wanted to hear more about uh, your formation of that organization slash individual endeavor. Um, <laughs> how did it come to be? Just tell us more about that.
3: Definitely. So McKayhern Speaks really started to come about at the beginning of this year. So I've been thinking about ways that I can use my voice, the things that I know, my experience, to educate other people and also to sort of activate people in this fight that I feel like we're all a part of. Um, I think that a lot of times individuals think that things don't have anything to do with them. So whenever we're talking about racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, Transphobia, all of these things, if you don't I like directly identify as one of those marginalized identities, a lot of times people don't think that it's their fight. Um, and McCaharn speaks, my organization and my individual endeavor, um, mm-hmm. soon to be business, it really focuses on educating people through not only my experiences, but in research that I continually do. So a lot of times, whenever people hear that I'm doing McKay speaks, a lot of times people just think that I'm talking off the cuff about my experience or things that I've just learned, but they don't really see the research that I do, the time that I put into making sure that I understand the issues before I'm even saying anything to other people, um, because I think that's really important. Um, But at this point, McCain Speaks has taken the form of sort of, I do workshops and trainings um, for student organizations, for offices, for businesses, et cetera, I've done it for all of those at this point. And I also do consultations with offices. I Mm. do consultations with student organizations, with people who want to be more invested in this fight that we're in. Um, And it's really become an experience-based kind of endeavor for me. Um, I take the time to tailor all of my materials, like y'all probably saw in in your presentation. Um, But I tailor everything to the office, to the individual group of people that I'm talking to, because I don't believe in one blanket kind of being thrown out there and saying, y'all need to think about this. And then I disappear. Uh, I think that it's important that I'm invested in the process as well and continue to follow up with people as they um, continue on this journey, because diversity, equity, inclusion isn't a one time fix. And McAhern Speaks focuses on creating solutions to that issue um, over a period of time, over Ah, uh, creating a longevity piece with that. So, in a nutshell, that's what McCahhern speaks is. It's something that I'm really passionate about at this point, something that I really, really, really love doing. And it's a way for me to use my voice out there. It's my form of mm-hmm. activism, like i I like to say, mm-hmm. and I really like activating other people and bringing awareness to people as well and letting them know that it's really time for us to move past that, like I'm listening, I'm learning, I'm here. Um, and moving towards like, what can I do to actively make change in the spaces that I occupy? And that doesn't always look like I'm going to upheave this whole system in, in the higher education uh, experience. Like, that's not what that looks like all the time. It might look like you in your individual office in the spaces that you occupy. And that's why I, I say that very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you do? And that's what McCarran Speaks really stands for.
1: That's awesome. I I really... I mean, we valued that presentation, that workshop so much because you, you are an area expert. You've done the research and you're, you know, I, I, I am always drawn to people who are in that process of like continuous learning and working together with people. Like it, it just, I think if we all just did that, it, you know, world would be a little bit different. But um, I know for me, I you know to be very vulnerable and open and honest like so you talked to us about microaggressions and I you know I think I was aware but just not completely aware of what that really looks like for other people and so you know again kind of leaning back toward career services something I've been thinking about a lot since you talked with us is I I I don't know if I've experienced microaggressions in my own personal job search if if i did they were probably so minor that i just like glazed over it right so i'm i'm really curious what it looks what what microaggressions look like on the job search on a on a on the day to day because i'm yeah. you know just i'm very unaware mm-hmm.
3: yeah that's fair i think that microaggressions take multiple forms um and it depends on if we when we're talking about microaggressions as a whole you can think about even starting with the resume process. And whenever I submit my resume for a job and it says Quadarius Z. McCahorn at the top, a very Black-sounding name, um, there's been research done to show that individuals with Black-sounding names are less likely to get a callback for an interview if their name is at the top of the resume in that form versus somebody who has a quote-unquote white-sounding name. That's a microaggression off the top already. Those are jobs that I now no longer have access to And that's how it directly, microaggressions directly impact people. It could be whenever someone is in a job interview and it's an inappropriate inappropriate comment made that maybe you only feel and you Mm -hmm. see everybody on the, you see everybody that's on the search committee that's interviewing you, nobody says anything about it. Nobody does anything about the question that was said or the comment that was made, but you feel it now, you know, you don't want to work for that space or you get offered the job and you have to make a decision. Do I want to sacrifice my comfortability for the sake of this paycheck? Um, and that's a decision that marginalized people make mm-hmm. every day. Um, so, those are just a couple of examples of how they exist in the space. They could be, it could really, really manifest in so many different ways. That's why I'm struggling to give you like a direct yeah. answer to that. But um, microaggressions are something that so many people deal with. Literally from I'm going to submit my resume and cover letter for this job all the way up until I'm about to negotiate my salary for this right. position. And I am a woman and I know that my perception of what I ask hmm. for on the other side, maybe that they might think that I'm too pushy or they may think hmm. that I'm asking for too much versus it's there's research shown that men ask for more money in the positions or women will uh, not apply for a job that they don't 100% qualify for versus men applying for jobs that they qualify for 75%. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And that's like a microaggression there as well in terms of the perception of what people um place on various marginalized identities. So that's why I, I don't think there's like a direct answer to your question, but those are a couple examples of how they manifest and how they directly impact mm-hmm. how much, um, like how people take a job or have the opportunity to get a job or even have the opportunity to get an interview or if their resume is thrown out immediately. Mm. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I would be interested, Q, do you have any advice for students who are aware that microaggressions are very present in the job search and even as they go and work their their day-to-day lives on how to kind of push through that and and keep their spirits up and and keep pushing to make change and organizations that sometimes don't always respect them the way they ought to
3: that's that's the most difficult piece yeah. because I struggle with um, telling students to just push through it and get yeah. the job and just work because i also understand what that feels like to exist in a space collect the paycheck but feel invalidated on a daily basis yeah. so i would challenge students to think about your non-negotiables think about do you want to work in a place that you know even when you came in for an interview whenever they're supposed to be wooing you they you felt invalidated yeah. or you felt uncomfortable do you want to be in that space full time and also um, think about do you feel comfortable speaking up in that space? Like if you're currently in a space where you feel like microaggressions are happening on a consistent basis, do you feel comfortable approaching someone about it? And also, how can you build allies in that space to support that issue with you so that you don't feel like you have to go about it alone? Because oftentimes and not, there are allies in the space that are silent. And what can you do to activate those people in that space as well? But yeah, it's really difficult to tell somebody to just push through it for the job, but I also mm-hmm. understand that marginalized people do that on a daily basis. Like there's not, there's very few very few spaces that I can exist where microaggressions aren't gonna occur. Um, so my advice is I think, are you, are you prepared to encounter those things? And also, are you able to activate those allies around you? Um, and then lastly, I would challenge those who are allies in the space, if you hear microaggressions, you're aware of them now. Mm-hmm. How can you step up for people before they have to ask you to or before they have to make you feel uncomfortable? What can you do to make yourself uncomfortable? Put something on the line and support those people in the space who are being marginalized through other people's actions or your actions. So that's that would be kind of my roundabout advice mm-hmm. to students at this point.
1: Thank you so much, Q. I We just adore you. And we're so thankful (laughs) that you are on the podcast with us. Um, it's, it's so much fun to work with you and, you know, hopefully to call you friend. Um, (laughs) you just, you're, you're such a light and encouragement to so many of us. And so I just, you know, thank you for that continued leadership in that way. And thanks for being on the podcast.
3: Of course, course. I love y'all. And I love this podcast. Y'all already know that. So I'm really excited to be here.
2: A Walk Across Texas State is hosted by Bridget Sarbu and Tori Graham. Zachary Webb is our producer and editor. Music by Richard Hall. For free resources and additional information about our services, head over to careerservices.txstate.edu and follow us on social media at careers. Don't forget to like and subscribe to hear new episodes every other Tuesday each
1: semester. Thanks for listening and we will see you soon.